Hello and welcome to another episode of Reformation Roundtable. My name is Joe Stout, and in today's episode, we are going to be hearing from Pastor Dave Hatcher on the ins and outs of church oversight when it comes to church planting. Here at the Reformation Roundtable, of course, our vision is to plant a Reformed church in the Lewis County region of Washington State. We're looking for a distinctly Bible Uh, biblically-based Reformed Church that honors Christ, gives God glory, and is filled with the Spirit. And we don't want to do this on our own. We want the wisdom and oversight of a mother church, so to speak, Um, a mother church planting a daughter church. And so we reached out to Dave Hatcher and said, hey, will you advise us on what it would look like if your church, Dave is the pastor of a church uh, called Trinity Church up in Woodenville, what would it look like if your church came and Um, helped us plant a church down here, if you guys were to provide the oversight. So Dave graciously hopped on a Zoom call and actually met with our entire Reformation Roundtable group and walked us through over the course of about an hour what it would look like uh, in terms of the big picture of having Trinity Church of Woodenville oversee this Lewis County Reformed Church plant that we are moving towards. And so the following audio is actually taken directly from that Zoom call. Now, if you go to lewiscounty.church, you can actually see the video of this. We actually took the screen the screen sharing video and uh, posted that to YouTube. If you'd like a, a more audio visual presentation or if the audio is good enough for you, I uh, hope you enjoy the conversation that we had. If you'd like to join us in what we're doing, please visit lewiscounty.church and go to the contact form, send me a message, and we'll get you tied into what we're doing. We're excited to bring the glorious reformation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to Lewis County, and we'd love to have you join us. Enjoy the teaching. Dave, how long have you been pastoring Trinity Church? Uh, This is my 22nd year. I was going to say over 20 years, so he's been, uh, for over 20 years, uh, been pastoring Trinity Church, and you guys are kind of moving all over the place right now with COVID, but uh, you were... Trying to be in Woodenville. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So, uh, perfect. Well, the only thing I was going to say to the group before I turn it over to you there, Dave, is that um, we are, we're excited to have you talk to us. And I was just going to give a little bit of a, uh, just kind of hopefully set the, set the tone for what we're, what we're doing here. Dave is going to come down in person. He was going to, he was going to, he's going to present to us in person, but He's feeling under the weather, so thank you so much for, for presenting to us, even though you're not feeling great. Uh, and thank you to all you guys for, for being here and for being a part of this. Um, I, the only thing I would ask is that as we listen to Dave, uh, you know, this isn't the time for us to, to, to debate or anything. We're just we're wanting to hear from him to get his feedback. We've got, we've got questions for you that we're going to be asking for sure. Um, and for us that are listening, <clears throat> I think one of the things that I think it would be really helpful before Dave got started is for us to just kind of mentally, if we can, not put aside our convictions at all. Uh, our convictions are important, but open up our hearts and open up our minds to some of the things that may be different than what we've experienced before. Um, Dave's a, a, good, a good brother in the Lord. He, he starts at the exact same position the rest of us start, which is a fear of God and a love for his word, his revealed word through scripture. And so the the convictions that you hear him talk about are going to be convictions that are based in scripture. And so we're, we're all, we're all, we all have common, a common base to to start with there. So, so if you hear things that you're not used to, or if you feel uncomfortable at something, just 
put it aside for the, for the time being. Just be open, open to what he has to say. Don't worry so much about being understood as to understand. And uh, with that, um, why don't I open us up in prayer, Dave? I would just maybe put aside, make a note of it. And yeah. we, can, we can discuss later, but just don't, we don't have to talk about it right now. It, and I'm, and I'm, I'm talking specifically also about in our own minds, you know, not looking for things like, oh, I don't believe, I'm, I'm not agreeing with that or I'm in disagreement with that. Yeah, put a note to it if you need to ask some follow-up questions. But, you know, in a lot of ways, some of the things that we're going to be discussing tonight might be new in terms of how church government is operated and those kinds of things. It might be new to some of us. And so regardless of what you've experienced in the past, let's just make sure that we're giving him a, a totally fair shake. And, and, um, uh, and I'll open this up in prayer. And um, just real quick, Dave, uh, just give you one more pan around the room. So we've got, uh, we've got some kids that join us. Some of those are mine. One of those, that's my niece right there. Then we've got uh, just several, several guys, uh, many of whom are um, not necessarily, not everybody here is necessarily like, hey, let's, let's start worshiping next week. <laughs> but, but a lot of them are interested in Reformed theology or interested in seeing a church um, get started. And so, so uh, that's, this is your group. I'm going to kind of leave it like this. You'll see some of them. You won't see all of them. Um, and uh, let me open this up in prayer and we'll get started. Gracious God in heaven, thank you so much for Brother Hatcher and for um, his willingness to speak to us tonight. I pray that you give us soft hearts, give us soft, soft um, um, hearts that are, are keen to hear your word uh, being spoken and uh, not, just, just, not just to have our own thoughts be heard, but to hear other people's, uh, other people's convictions. And um, I, I pray, Father, that you would give um, uh, Dave uh, strength in his voice and that you would uh, just bless him mightily for uh, taking the time to talk to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Amen. it's all yours. Okay, thanks. So I'm, um, I've heard that you guys have been meeting and really wish I could be down there to meet you face-to-face. This is weird. Um, but... Um, but I can get I can, I can both give you some information uh, and uh, and happy to take any questions at all. Um, uh, what I don't know exactly is how much you already know. So um, I'm going to give you uh, two minute uh, two minutes of me, and then I'm going to give you about five minutes of our where our church came from, and I can give you about five minutes of how the CREC kind of got started. Um, is that you know, I just want to make sure that's helpful, just to just in terms of the introduction. Unless you unless you already know all of that, well, obviously you don't know about me. <clears throat> I grew up in the uh, Bellevue area and did not grow not didn't grow up in a Christian home. Became a Christian my senior year in high school in 1979. Um, I have a degree in accounting from Washington State University. I was a CPA for three or four years. I got married while I was in college to my high school sweetheart, who also led me to Lord back in high school. Um, so kids listening to that, that's not a good way to lead people to the Lord, date them and then lead them to the Lord. That's not a good way, but we didn't know any better. Um, and so that's what we did. Um, and, uh, we ended up in Annapolis, Maryland for about 10 years where I helped to start a church and helped to start a Christian school. Uh, we were, we were out there until 1997. During that time I became reformed. I was not reformed when I first became a Christian, um, I was pretty much just kind of a, uh, you know, general evangelical Christian, didn't have strong doctrinal roots or ties any particular way, just wanted to see people come to Christ, was growing in the Lord. But I uh, had become reformed when I was out there, when we started having children, started thinking about uh, promises to the children, how to raise children, 
1997, I left my uh, left the work that was going out there with the church and the school and took a two-year sabbatical when I went out to Moscow, Idaho, and studied for two of three years of um, uh, with um, Greyfriars, which is a pastor's college that's run by Christ Church in Moscow. <clears throat> and uh, Doug Wilson got that started. Right about the same time, three churches that were friends, those three churches were uh, a church in Moscow, a church in Wenatchee, and a church in Bellevue out here. Those three churches um, were independent evangelical churches, uh, pretty traditional um, uh, and uh, very focused on the Bible and, um, and raising up kids. That was, that, was, that was something very similar amongst all of them. But all of these churches had uh, become reformed, uh, coming to a Calvinistic view of soteriology. I can describe that to you if I need to. Um, and <clears throat> wanting to see the gospel go out, wanting to see strong fam families built within the church. Those three churches in 1996-97 formed what became the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches. Um, the reason that they formed it was not to become a mass, big, huge denomination at all. The re reason was that they were three independent churches whose ecclesiology had grown up, and they believed that churches ought not to just simply be independent, autonomous on their own, but there ought to be some kind of, um, of, of, of formal way of uh, instructing and holding one another accountable, being able to appeal to one another, and, that, and, um, and just grow up in the faith that way, to bring unity. So when those three churches established a denomination in their minds, in our minds, we did not in we did not add one new denomination to the world. We actually subtracted uh, two denominations because we were three independent denominations, three independent churches who then gathered together to become one um, uh, one church of three different churches. Um, so what was the CREC and why why did we do that? Well, part of the reason that we did that is while we were reformed and believed that it, with regard to ecclesiology that we should be associated together in a denomination, there were both paedo-baptists and credo-baptists uh, in our midst. And there were both paedo-baptists and credo-baptist churches um, in, in the midst at the time. So there were reformed Baptists, and then there were also Presbyterians, for, for lack of a better well, title to that. And that has formed the CREC and has been a, a distinguishing mark of the, of the CREC. Um, as the CREC has grown over these 20 years, um, we, have, we certainly would be more recognized as a Presbyterian kind of church by many people. But, but uh, uh, it's possible for a church to come into the CREC under the London Baptist Confession. They can be a Reformed Baptist church. It's also, um, in most CREC churches, most of them are uh, paedo-baptist churches, but they allow and encourage Baptist families to still be a part of the church, be members, full members, and are ministered to by the, by the elders as, as Baptist families, and we wait to baptize children on a profession of faith. <laughs> and, and that's been our, uh, particularly at Trinity Church, excuse me, <laughs> that has been our practice. When I came here in uh, 1999, probably the church was probably about 80% Baptist and about 20% Pado Baptist, but getting along. 
And as we began studying, particularly um, uh, the theology of the covenants and also the promises of God for our children, there has been a slow over time progression of many of those Baptist families becoming Paedo-Baptists. Um, and so, so it's almost switched the other way around. It's probably about 80% Paedo-Baptists and about 20% Baptists, but still all getting along for the most part. Um, <clears throat> and that's a distinct, probably a distinctive of our church and a distinctive of the denomination that's difficult that or different. It's why, one of the reasons why we didn't look to the PCA um, or to other uh, conservative Presbyterian denominations to join them. So we had part of that, that distinguish, distinguishing factor. Part of the other reason, uh, I think, uh, was we have a, a, a strong belief in, in the qualifications for elders in First Timothy and Titus that includes that your children should be growing up in the faith with you, uh, and that if you're not managing your home first, pastoring, ministering to your home first, that you shouldn't be an elder until then. And in some of these other conservative uh, Presbyterian churches, you'll find that there's kind of an exception given to that, either explicitly or implicitly, with regard to whether or not you are still qualified to, to be uh, an elder if your children are walking with the Lord. Um, so uh, now I've, I've spent a whole lot of time talking about Baptist, Paedo-Baptist distinctions. There's, there's probably more self-evident or more obvious distinctions about the, um, the CREC than just the baptism issue. But I know that's always a question. So, so and, and it's part of the history of how we got started also. But along with that, let me say a couple more things and I'll open it up to some questions just about our history and about some of our distinctives. If you were to walk into a CREC church, um, a couple of things that you would notice that would be distinctive of the church. First of all, you'd find all of the, all, all of the whole families together in the worship service. We don't have a children's church and a youth church and and those kinds of things, no matter how large we are, we believe all the families come covenantally into the worship service of God on, on the Lord's Day. Um, and part of the reason is that we believe that this is, a, this is what we call a covenant renewal service, that all of God's people are brought, summoned to come before the Lord on the Lord's Day and go through, um, uh, go through a time of renewal with God, where he summons us, we respond. Uh, as we come into his presence, we are aware of our sinfulness. We confess our sins. We are, we are declared to be forgiven through the blood of Christ. We come into um, a time of consecration where we offer up our bodies as living sacrifices and we praise and sing, sing and offer up our prayers. We are instructed and changed by the word of God as God deals with us through the preaching of the word. We then come afterwards to the table of communion where having been remade, we enter into a table of, a, of, a, of the peace offering um, with God, where we partake together, all the baptized members partake together um, of uh, Christ's body and blood. And so uh, that happens every week. And then afterwards, there's a commissioning where we are then sent back out into the world to serve Christ. Um, so that's something that you'll see very, uh, and you see in lots of other denominations, it's not like we didn't come up with this. It's, it's pretty much a historic uh, order of service um, that we've um, that we've taken back in some ways. There's there's many other churches and denominations that do something similar, but um, and and there's there's some good books and writings on that if you'd be interested in that. Another thing you'd see besides is a is a commitment to Christian education as as we're raising up our children 
whether it's through homeschools, co-ops, or day schools, uh, there's a strong uh, emphasis on giving your children a Christian education. Um, uh, some of the other things you would see would be um, an emphasis in singing the Psalms um, and, and staying away from uh, the, 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 the thing about going back to the Psalms is not because we think new music is bad. Um, we do tend to think that the new music of today isn't grounded either scripturally well or aesthetically well as something that is going to carry um, weighty um, weighty and wonderful praise music. Um, and so both stylistically and lyrically, um, we let the Psalms instruct us as to what God wants us to sing. I, I try to say to my congregation regularly, you may or may not like this song or this Psalm or this hymn, um, but that ought not to be your first question. Your first question ought to be, what does God like? What does God want to hear us singing? Singing to him <laughs> and singing to one another about. And the answer is, well, at least we have 150 examples right here. Let's start with these. So we're not exclusive psalmists, as, as you'll find in, in certain denominations. Um, we don't believe that, that the scriptures demand that you only sing the psalms, but we think it should be our bread and butter. And it teaches us what to sing. It teaches us how to pray. It instructs us quite a bit in terms of um, biblical aesthetics, learning what is true, what is good, and what is beautiful. So that's another um, big emphasis uh, within the church um, and within the denomination. Um, we are called the communion of reformed evangelicals because we believe we're a communion of churches. We're all, there's one church and that's the church of Jesus Christ. We are local parishes in essence throughout um, the uh, denomination, but those churches or those parishes are, are very, very independent. Um, as, as opposed to many of the other Presbyterian churches, all there are, there are no, uh, there are no denominational assets. There are no denominational buildings. There are no denominational uh, headquarters. We are very decentralized. Um, so it, it, in many ways, it feels like um, uh, a, a, there's a, there's a lot more independence in the governing of our churches than you'll find in, for instance, the PCA or the OPC, that kind of thing. There are no bishops. Um, I serve as the presiding minister of a presbytery that runs up and down the West Coast. We have 12 churches and three or four mission churches or candidate churches as well. And as presiding minister, um, I have my number one job is putting together the meeting for our presbytery every year. Um, I have uh, authority to go in and ask about the health of uh, churches. I can go in and talk to the elders somebody is uh, somebody was disciplined in a church and they felt that it was wrong they can appeal to me and i can help determine whether or not there needs to be some kind of court put together if there was a problem there's some kind of false teaching going on they could appeal to me and then i would bring it to the i could bring it to the presbytery that's that's about the extent of my authority even coming here and talking to you guys i'm really not coming i am the presiding minister but i'm not coming with super official uh approval from the from the presbytery or the denomination. I'm a pastor of a church and we'd love, we would, we, it's our heart's desire as a church to plant a hundred CREC churches up and down I-5 in Washington state. Um, we need, we need, um, we need really good churches all around here. So that's where the communion we're reformed, meaning we hold to the, the basic historic documents, uh, historic teachings of the reformation. 
Um, and I can, I can explain that more if you want to know more about that. And then we are evangelical, believing that we are teaching um, that people must have, uh, you know, come to faith in Lord Jesus Christ, be born again um, in order to be saved. Um, and so that, that's our emphasis, and you'll see it in our preaching, in our singing, in our fellowship, in the way that we care for one another as, as a church. So that's kind of a broad overview how the CREC and why the CREC got started, some of our distinctives. Um, you, you know that both Joe has been a part of Yost Church over in uh, Spokane for a number of years. Yost is a very good friend of mine for over 20 years. Um, and his church was very similar to our church in terms of style and uh, liturgy. There are some churches in the CREC that hold to a little bit higher liturgy. So you might find ministers that are wearing robes and vestments there might be uh, a little bit more high, higher liturgy in terms of some uh, regular uh, pieces of music that are regularly sung throughout the service. Um, a little bit more like you might see in a formal Lutheran church. Um, there are some churches that, that uh, in the CREC that do that, but you're not required to. And different churches um, ha are free to kind of practice some different traditions in that way. Um, and then, uh, so I was going to say, yo, so I was going to say, and then Alan is sitting there and Alan's dad. Alan's dad, I forgot your first name. Forgive me. Ron. Is it what is it? I'm sorry? Ron. Yeah, Ron. 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 Good to see you over there. Ron and Alan. Uh, Ron's visited the church lots of times. And uh, Alan was a member of our church for a number of time, a number of years. So you can get kind of scoop about the feel of the church from those guys a little bit too. Um, so let me stop there before we talk about any, uh, I can, I, I'll go on. I would plan to talk a little bit about how we go about planting churches um, or helping churches get started. Um, and also I can talk about doctrinal issues or government issues, uh, whatever questions you might have. So, but let me stop there and just ask if there's any questions just about the history of the CREC or anything you've heard about it that, that you wanted to uh, poke at and, and uh, find out a little bit more about before we go on. And I can't, I probably can't hear questions well um, from the microphone. So Joe, if you I'll, I'll, I'll translate it for you. Thank you. Get that away from the speaker, sorry. Anybody? Church membership, what, is it, what do they normally require? Okay, so the question is, what do you normally require for church membership? $10,000 in your first child. <laughs> Church membership is, uh, um, um, in, uh, so I'm going to tell you from our church, there's, uh, there are some documents denominationally, but it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, in order to become a member of our church, you would need to um, profess to be a believer, a baptized believer in the Lord Jesus Christ that you would believe that, you know, what, what, what does that mean? It means basically that you have, you believe the apostles creed simple. You believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, rose on the third day uh, for your justification. And that because you believed on him and him alone, all your sins are washed away. And by the power of the Holy spirit, you plan on walking faithfully after him. Um, and your um, in order to, to take a vow of membership to the church, you'd meet with the elders or a couple of elders who would ask for, you know, your spiritual life and how things are, what, what's going on in your life and that kind of thing. Um, you'd be asked to read through the governmental documents of the church, but you wouldn't have to necessarily agree with everything. Um, 
um, lots of, you, you wouldn't have to, dis, you could disagree with many um, secondary doctrinal issues. You could disagree that this is the best way to run a church, but you'd have to read the, the government, uh, governmental documents and you'd have to say, I'm willing to submit to um, the teaching here. I'm willing to submit to the governing of the, 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 governing of the elders. Um, and I'd love to serve this church, uh, this local church, this local body of Christ. Um, and then you just take, there's simple vows that are given, uh, you and or you and your family that take. Um, they can be done publicly in front of the church. That's most, most of the time the way it's done. Um, they can also be done privately. Occasionally, it just works out better for someone to do it privately. Um, it's pretty simple. It's not, uh, there's not, there's not a formal class you have to go through. We usually take people through a membership class series where I, uh, spend a lot more time talking about a lot more of the details that I've already brought up here. History of the CREC church. I will go through our specific, you know, the doctrines of our church and the government of the CREC and the, and the, uh, and our church locally. So that's, that's membership. Any follow-up questions on that? Yeah, talking about documents or, you know, the, uh, the governmental documents. Is there, is there a major document or one major document, like the Westminster Confession of Faith, that the denomination as a whole says, hey, you, this is what you need to agree with for the most part? Did you hear all that, Dave? You wanted to know about um, primary, uh, primary uh, documents in terms of what you have to, what churches have to hold to and that kind of thing? Yes. Yeah, so um, in, in order to explore that a little bit more, the, the, if you're asking that question, I'd really encourage you to go to the Community of Reformed Evangelical Church's website and read through the documents. They're not that long. Our Constitution and, and Statement of and uh, yeah, the Statement of Faith are, are not that long, and you'll find you'll find all that information there. But in a nutshell, in order to be a member a member church, so in order to be a member church, I'm not talking about individual member. But in order to be a member church of the CREC, you have to hold to the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the uh, definition of Chalcedon. Those are ancient historical Orthodox creeds that every Orthodox church, you know, even Catholic church, um, holds to. It sets you aside from the Orthodox church, the Nicene Creed does. Okay, so those creeds have to be held to. And then each, and this is what's different about the, the, this Reformed denomination, each member church is has to um, uh, has to subscribe to at least one of several um, reformed uh, confessions. The Westminster Confession of Faith is one. The London Baptist Confession is another. The um, Three Forms of Unity um, is another. The Belgic Confession you can actually come in in on uh, on its own. Um, and there's a there's a couple of others, Second Helvetic, um, even the Thirty Nine Articles, one uh, which is the uh, Anglican Church um, uh, Reformed Doctrinal uh, Confession. Um, you can come in on probably the oh, and then there's one more, and this was actually one that was uh, brought together by so that a church like us back in 1997 could come in. So back in 1997, we were a we were, and I say we, it actually was 93, 93 the church began, 97 the church came and formed the uh, CREC, but I didn't actually become a pastor here till 99. So Brett Baker, who's an elder here still with us, he actually was a full-time, uh, well, part-time pastor. He's working full-time, but he was pastoring the church. Um, and so he, he brought the church up to speed at that point. 
but one of the, it's called the Reformed Evangelical Confession. And basically what it is, is a, it's a shortened version of the Westminster, uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism and a, and, a, and a few other statements about biblical inerrancy and that kind of thing. It's very, um, it's Reformed, it's Calvinistic soteriolo soteriologically, but it doesn't speak about the Sabbath. It doesn't speak about baptism. And it doesn't speak um, uh, about a number of those kinds of things because, because our little church back there didn't know what we believed. <laughs> so the Reformed Evangelical Confession was a, was a way to come in and, and, uh, um, and, and still continue, continue to study um, as we did. But, but most churches come in today. A lot of churches either come into the Westminster Confession. They might take exceptions or they might do the Westminster Confession and the Reformed Evangelical Confession so that they can have both Baptists and Pado-Baptists. Um, that's kind of uh, insane. And then some churches that have uh, members who have either been a part of um, the Dutch Reformed traditions, they often will come in on the three forms of unity because that's, that's the Dutch uh, tradition. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, and, and so if, you, if you're familiar with those documents and want to see uh, or want to read through them, they are on our website, not Trinity Church, on the CREC website. Do you else have any questions for me? Um, it sounds like a lot of your, the churches that have joined the denomination were already established churches that were under some other denomination, is that, am I hearing that correctly? And they, and they left their denomination or were in, like, like you said, the first three were independent church that just decided to come under the, is that, is that a, a, a true listening or hearing what, I, what you're saying? <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know that, I don't know that I could tell you the numbers. There's quite a few independent churches that have come into the CREC. There's quite a few uh, churches that had been in other reformed denominations, but some of them have gone woke or liberal, uh, and so they were leaving those denominations, um, and they joined us. And then there were some, then there have been many churches that have been planted or started by groups of individuals just like you guys, um, who find themselves in a, in a city or a town where there isn't a, there isn't a good reformed church like what we're talking about, um, and so they form one. Um, probably, those are the three main ways that the, we've had uh, people or churches come into the CREC. And and I don't know that I would say that mostly it's churches that have left other denominations. Um, it, it might, it might be, I don't know, all three kind of combined. Do you have any idea on the number of churches or have you guys experienced planting a church directly through, as through Trinity? Trinity yeah. church has, Trinity church has been, uh, we planted a church in Boise. Uh, we helped to plant a church um, in Santa Cruz, California. Um, we uh, helped bring in a church from Linwood, Washington, which is now Redeemer Church. They, they were an established church. They actually had been around for a long time. Um, They're kind of a wild charismatic church to back in the 70s and 80s. And then in the 90s, they started becoming reformed uh, and then uh, and then uh, Y2K came around, those of you who are old enough to remember Y2K, and half the church left for um, the middle of the country to get away from the internet so they wouldn't die. And the church was about to die, and we knew, I had, we had some friends that were a part of that church, and uh, we kind of 
uh, helped heal them up and brought them in in their good established church here now in Linwood. And then our church planted a church right here, 20 minutes from us, um, it, with uh, my associate pastor and about uh, 40 of our people uh, about seven years ago, Emmanuel Church. Um, so we have three churches that are right next to each other. We have and literally two of us are literally right next to each other right now because of COVID. We both aren't in our regular places so that we are in, we're at Providence Classical Christian School in two different buildings and we're separated by a very small parking lot <laughs> right now. Um, and then there's another church in Linwood. But basically we have a church in Linwood, a church in Bothell, and a church in Woodenville. And we helped, well, we planted officially the one and we helped bring the other one in. So um, I brought in, I helped a, a, a group of people in Boise, just like uh, you guys uh, back in 2000, 2001 or so. Uh, and then similarly in Santa Cruz uh, in the mid 2000s. Uh, and then we planted a church from us with uh, about seven years ago. So we're, we have uh, our, the Linwood church, but we're helping also have, there's a group of people up in Mount Vernon area uh, like you guys, and they are exploring uh, becoming a CREC church as well. Great. I don't know if any of you have been down to uh, reformed uh, Reformation Covenant church in Oregon city. That's another sister church. Um, that's that's probably as close to you guys as we are. I think those are the probably the two closest churches to where you guys are um, in in the Shehalis there. And Ron's been asking me to. Ron has been asking me to uh, plant a church there for twenty years. I think haven't you, Ron? Like Um, I, I have a question for you, but it might be something that you're going into next uh, as it relates to the process of planting the church. Um, mm -hmm. But, um, and maybe you'll talk about this, but I know one of the things that's going to, that people are going to want to know too is when the, when the church plant, when the church plant is happening or when the church has been established, how does the, uh, how does the CREC handle um, who can be in leadership? Like who can, so there's church membership. And then there's the elders and the deacons. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that? When a, when a church when a church is uh, established, it's considered to be a mission church. If a church is coming into the CREC, they're called a candidate church. So if um, if a church existed already uh, and they wanted to now come into the CREC, they'd be a candidate church, and we would handle them in a particular way. A mission church is a church which is being planted. And, um, and so when a mission church is being planted, it is sponsored by a single church. It's not sponsored by the denomination. So if, if Trinity Church was going to sponsor a, a, a church in Chehalis, Centralia, if, if we were going to sponsor it, we would be the ones who would establish the membership. We would be the ones who would establish the constitution, bylaws, statement of faith. We would be the ones who would um, bring people into membership and, and then, and, and, and then our elders would be, um, the ones who would, who would lay hands on elders eventually, if there were elders so you, you, to be a mission church, um, you don't have to have an elder. I can't remember if you have to have at least two elders on site that are members of your church to become a member church. Um, when we first getting started, um, I would personally want to see that at least there'd be one elder, one person qualified to be an elder. 
um, at the church. Um, I, but I, to, off the top of my head, now I can't exactly remember if that's, um, there might be some exceptions to that in certain extraordinary circumstances. I can't remember. I have to go back to the, to the documents. Um, but a church plants a church. Not The denomination is not planting the church. A church sponsors a church as a mission church um, and, and uh, shepherds them along. So what happened at Boise, for instance, would be something similar that I would see happening with you all. Um, what would happen is um, I, you, the people who would be interested in seeing if, if, if there was a fit, um, I'd say, here's some documents to read. Go read these documents. Um, I understand a number of you read through Mother Kirk. That's a, that's a good book to get a flavor for kind of the, um, of the CREC. Uh, but it's not an official book of the CREC, but it gives you a good flavor of who we are, what we, what we think about. Um, and then um, we, you know, we would, we would talk informally as a group about, is there general agreement here about a statement of faith, a confession that you would want to come in on? Are there any questions about the creeds? Um, here's kind of a boilerplate uh, governance document for the church. What, what would be required to be an elder? What would be required to be a deacon? Um, and uh, how you'd handle church discipline and those kinds of things. Um, and then, and so, you know, we, we would, we'd work that through and there'd be tweaks as people, and, and during that time, people would rise up and, and be more interested or less interested as it went along. But if there was, um, you know, a sense of consensus, then um, we would, uh, what we'd do is we'd establish um, um, a document of a church. We'd establish a mission church of Trinity. And then we would come in and interview families to become members of that church. You become members of this mission church under our um, care. And then as that, mem as that membership then came together, you would, um, we would look to establishing leadership within, uh, within that group. Um, and then there would be uh, a mission church has to remain a mission church uh, until it's financially able to support itself. Um, and, uh, and has at least two elders serving there. Um, we, you can't have um, uh, ad hoc elders or pro tem elders. So uh, most likely one of our elders would be an elder at your church, um, a pro tem elder at your church. We might get um, RCC to get one, one of their elders. And what that does is you just, so you have multiple lead, multiplicity of leadership that helps you, especially as you, maybe as you go out and you're looking uh, to bring in a pastor, you have other eyes looking with you to see um, for someone to, to be a good fit, that kind of thing. Um, and just walking you through, walking you through that over time. So along that line, of, um, this pastoral search is that something that um, that you would oversee as our as the as the uh, lead of the mission church? Public yeah. process appointed, or would it be a like uh, we look for someone? You kind of, I mean, just talk about that. Yeah. So um, it's kind of both end. It's there's not again, there's not an official pastoral board. Um, the denomination does not assign or send pastors, but we probably know men that are available or interested. Um, but it would be the local congregation would call the minister. So, um, so probably I one of our one of our elders, maybe me would be a pro tem elder with you. And now as I'm serving as a pro tem elder, I'm one of your elders. And along with your other leadership, maybe some of it's unofficial, maybe some of it's um, deacons, maybe it's another elder or two. 
Um, but we would begin a process that the church would agree on, that the church membership would agree on in order to interview, um, recruit uh, pastors and ministers. Um, we, it might be through uh, different networks that are out there. It might be through um, people that we know who are looking to serve in a church, um, any number of those kinds of things. To bring on a pastor, um, a local church would, um, so that would be something that you guys would have to decide in terms of your own governance. Um, different churches do it differently. Uh, our, our particular church, um, a decision like calling a pastor would be a decision that rests on the session, but the session our session would not would not just go out and, and get someone without uh, uh, overwhelming support of the membership. Um, some churches have specific percentages and that kind of thing for that, and, and you guys, you, we would be able to decide how you wanted to do that. You know, a lot of those decisions are local decisions. The the way that you would like to to see things go, the way that you think it would be best best serve the the local church. So, so, so if I'm hearing what you're saying, you, you wouldn't be appointing us a pastor and you just live with it. It'd be like, Hey, here's, here's a guy that we think would be a good fit yeah. for you. Never. Do you guys, do you guys agree with yeah. this? The church yeah. would call it a pastor. I would never, I don't call a pastor for another church. In addition to that, the Methodists, uh, the Methodists do that. Lutherans, I think do that. We don't do that. In addition to that, my next question would be, does the church, does the church call the pastor when it's in the mission church stage, or does it need to be a member church before it calls the pastor? No, it can call it. It can call a pastor as a mission church. That's a great thing, actually, because uh, you call a pastor, and um, you know, unless he's a total dud, you call a pastor, your church is going to start growing because um, everybody around you starts saying, "Oh, this is legit. This is a real thing." And now, um, and now it's you know it's happening. And so you have you have people that are on the outskirts, but they're a little uncomfortable that. They don't want to be a part of this, the new thing. They want to know there's something established. And those people will start coming once you have a, um, some of you say, that's our pastor. Okay. The amount of independence is something that I've been curious about, too, as far as how much independence the individual churches have apart from the denomination. And you spoke that a little bit. Is there, are there certain things that are not negotiable? Certain things that the denomination says, no, you must do, you must adhere to this. Is that kind of a short list that you can kind of describe? Well, again, I would, I would direct you to our constitution um, because that'll tell you explicitly, I'll give you, then the, the, I would say, if you read that, then you haven't missed anything. <laughs> Off the top of my head, uh, in order to cut, you know, I mentioned to you the creeds that you must come in under, the confession, um, yep. the, uh, the governance of, uh, that we are, an el you're an elder run church, not a congregational run church. It's, we're an elder, elder run church. Um, and, uh, and that you, um, you send delegates to presbytery meetings annually, um, and that you submit to the, uh, appeals made to the presbytery, uh, if there's some kind of lawful appeal made to, to, you know, uh, to the presbytery that you submit yourself to a council or a board from the presbytery, which, um, <coughs> in times of duress, it doesn't happen. It's not like it happens regularly. Um, 
But besides that, with regard to your budget, with regard to your um, ministry choices that you do, with regard to what your pastor is preaching, um, you know, in terms of having, he doesn't have to follow a lectionary or something like that. Um, um, there's a, what, in terms of what you're singing, um, we, like I said, we sing, you'll find the churches sing psalms, but it's not like it's a requirement. It's the, it's the warp and woof of our denomination. Um, but you're not required to. Uh, the Cantus Christi is a um, Psalter hymnal that's been put out by Christ Church in Moscow. Um, you know, they're kind of the mother church of this whole thing. Uh, and, uh, and so they put out a lot of material. Some churches use it and some don't. Some use an old Trinity hymnal that they grew up with. And um, some collect things from different hymnals and use do their own stuff. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of independence uh, in the denomination. Um, right. I'm trying to think if there's anything I'm missing in terms of requirements that you, but I, I can't, I can't necessarily think of, well, I, so there's a, there's what's called the book of memorials. Um, that's also a good thing to read through a, a, a member church when it comes in, um, has to, um, state that they um, agree with the book memorials, uh, the different memorials, or that they take exception to them and what exceptions they take. And the book of memorials is, uh, they're non-confessional uh, things that you don't find in the standard confessions um, that we've made statements about. So for instance, we have a memorial on, um, on homosexuality. We have a memorial on abortion. We have a memorial on terrorism um, and just war theory. We have a memorial on Christian education. Um, we have a memorial on worship. Um, and uh, yeah, so you should, you, that, those would be good things to read through. And those are the good things to read through uh, with a group of people like this and spend, you know, um, only, you know, spend reading and discussing two of them at a time and just, hey, what do you guys think about this? And, and having someone like me there to answer questions about them or be able to come down at a different time and answer and talk about them. But that's where you're going to get a little bit more of the flavor also of our denomination. Yeah, can you describe the office of elder or the office of deacon? Like, yeah. Yeah, so the office of elder, um, also uh, elder, pastor, shepherd, um, overseer, bishop, all those, um, all of those words in the New Testament refer to the office of elder. And um, an elder... Uh, is an overseer or a shepherd of the flock. Um, in, um, if you look at passages uh, in both Peter and First Peter and in Hebrews, you'd see that um, members are to follow their elders, submit to their elders, and uh, elders are to be able to give an account for the flock. Um, so they're to know their flock, and they take responsibility for the spiritual health of their um, of the sheep, and um, so uh, we're strict about following the qualifications of elders in First Timothy uh, and Titus. Um, but also what we're doing when we're looking for elders, we're looking for people who are eldering, basically. They're already eldering. It's not, um, they're the kind of people who go after lost sheep. They're the kind of people who love to teach, love to encourage, love to come alongside, love to pray for, um, uh, have, um, have some kind of vision about um, how the church can grow and, and how we can be serving in our communities. And 
that kind of thing. And so you're looking for um, men who are qualified and are in some sense eldering already. And then you, you officially um, ordain them into that office. There are differences in the denomination with regard to elders. There's what's called two office, three office, and four office with regard to elders. I don't know if, if, if does everybody know what that, those differences are? Two office, three office, four office, what that means? No, no. Okay, so two office means that you have elders and deacons, and there's no difference amongst the elders. I'm one of all of the elders at our church. We are a two office government. So while I'm the pastor, I'm the pastor only in the sense of kind of uh, regular nomenclature that people would use out there in the world. I'm the pastor of the church, but I'm one of, of five elders now at our church. I'm one of five elders, and I don't have any more say than any other, uh, any other of the elders. I hold no position beyond them. Um, I lead quite a bit because I, um, they've set me aside with double honor to be able to um, give myself to preaching and teaching and prayer. Um, so I don't have to go and make, make a living somewhere else. But um, so functionally, we're kind of three office, and we're happy to admit that. But we would believe that the scriptures don't have a separate office called pastor. Now, there's a, um, there's a three office position, and th that's similar, except that you have ruling elders and teaching elders. And ruling elders um, are, don't have to necessarily be gifted teachers, and so they... Um, they, they might be more administrators, administrator types, um, but they're not required or expected to be teaching or shepherding in, in the same way that teaching elders might be. And then in four office, um, you have the ruling elder, the teaching elder, and then the minister. Um, in those office, those churches, which tend to be much more formal than ours, than our church is, um, they would believe that, you, that the minister is set aside particularly to preach the word and to administer the sacraments so that the other elders don't do that. Um, that that's, that's something that the minister particularly is supposed to do. And we have two office, three office, and four office churches in our denomination. Um, we have, and we have strong opinions about those in our denomination, but it's in our documents, in our constitution, that we allow um, all of those... Um, those options to be made by the local church. So we have lots of good fights on the side about that. If you, if you like doctrinal and fights, you're going to love this series. We have all kinds of things we like discussing. That's good. Uh, if we were to, uh, let's just say, you know, we get off the Zoom call here, and everybody says, "Oh man, we love we love this. We want Trinity Church to oversee a church plant here." Um, what's can you, and maybe you were planning on doing this anyways, can you walk us through a, a little bit of like the, the timeline and how we would go about doing that? Yeah. Um, so I don't have in my mind a specific timeline. It's, it, this is something that could happen as quickly with it as within a, you know, a few months. This is something that could happen and it might take, it might take much longer. Um, and, and, it, and if it took much longer, that's not necessarily bad. I don't know how well you, you all know one another. I don't know how um, what, what each one of you have a story. Each one of you have a, a path that has led you here. And probably um, there's a number of different agendas or desires for why, why you are interested. And so I think you guys have to talk among yourselves. Um, and I'm help, happy to help, help that. 
um, in, in terms of determining um, why you'd like to start a church. Um, but if, if after with this Zoom call, um, there is a general agreement, like I think I could find myself within that, within that framework that Dave was talking about, um, and I'd like to do that, well, then you can see there's a lot of different ways that can be formed over time. What I would do is I'd probably come down um, and I'd want to start hearing your stories about why you're there, what you like, what, you, um, what interests you most about the CREC, and what, what interests you most about a, 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 the local church right there that maybe you're not seeing in other, in other churches. Um, I mean, one of the questions I would have for each one of you is why are you not, um, what, what is, what is keeping you from diving in, in the local church that you could be a part of right now? Why are you not there? Um, and, um, those are good questions to ask yourself. Um, I, one of the, one of the things that happens, um, with, uh, church plants is sometimes if you're not careful, you have, you end up with a bunch of people who are discontent with the churches that they are in, in all the wrong ways. And all they do is bring their discontent into the new group. And you have a whole bunch of discontent people now starting a church. It's a, it's a recipe for disaster. Um, and so I don't think you need to hurry. Um, I think the Lord will, uh, will lead and guide you. What I would say is if there was a, let's say there was a core group of uh, a few families, um, then I would say, uh, I, would, I would say you should begin to have, is there, is there someone among you who um, you would feel qualified to just lead a Bible study and a time of prayer? Could you begin meeting um, monthly or weekly on a Sunday evening or something like that and begin to have regular Bible study, family Bible study somehow together um, with some singing, with some prayer? And then if that was happening, um, you know, then I could come down or other elders could come down um, and, uh, and, and meet and join you for that, be a speaker and answer questions and begin to see if, if something was forming that way. And when you did that and it became a regular thing, then you'd also be looking outside of yourselves who else do we know that, that is like-minded with us that would be interested? Um, let's invite them. Let's have a barbecue. Let's have a dinner. Let's have Dave come down and talk about it again because we'll have three or four more families and we'd like them to meet. Um, you start having, you know, I'd encourage you guys, uh, with, because of the internet, you ought to be listening to half a dozen other pastors in the CREC. Listen to their sermons. Uh, go to their websites. See what, they, see what their distinctives are. Um, get a chance, go down to RCC. You'll find RCC's worship service far more formal than ours, uh, but wonder, wonderful people down there. Um, and then uh, come up and, and visit ours or Jerry's, uh, any of the three churches that are up here. Each one of them is a little bit different. Um, so take a trip with your family and come visit these, those churches. Get a feel for what it looks like. See if we're weird um, or if we're weird like you so that you fit. Or, you know, whatever it is. So that's what I, that's what I would, th those are the kinds of things that I would um, suggest that you go down. And, and actually, uh, if, if you guys say, yes, we want to do that, I'm probably going to um, reach out to a couple other pastors that um, have recently done a really good job of planting. And I'm going to, I'm going to steal everything I can from them in terms of uh, process. <laughs> so if you're interested, I will, I will help put a process together. Um, but I'm happy to just have a series of meetings informally um, or answer questions and get to know you guys better somehow and, um, and kind of see where it goes that way. That's great. Yeah, thank you very much for that. Um, I know well, one of the, uh, uh, you can see on your screen there, Josh Rodlin, it couldn't be here tonight uh, or 
uh, he's actually, he and his wife are both listening to it together. Uh, and they've got some little kids. And so they, that's why they joined us via Zoom. But I know um, Josh was wanting maybe for you to talk a little bit about um, covenant theology and kind of not just why it matters, but like how it practically affects the life of the church. Like what does covenant theology in the life of the church look like practically? Practically? Um, well, um, a covenant is a solemn bond sovereignly administered with attendant blessings and curses. God has made covenants all, all the time with creation, with his creation, with his people. So when God speaks and says, here's who you are, I am your God, and this is how we are going to have a relationship. Um, here are the, here, I'm, I, so the covenants are, they're, they're always gracious because they're initiated by God. Um, and they are, um, they're, they're a declaration. Um, so covenant would be like, um, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house, that land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And now this is how we're going to live together. You shall have no other gods before you. You shall, and on and on and on. So that's a covenant. Um, this, this bond that is established by God with his people, um, with, that is solemnized, and then is, uh, has attendant blessings or curses if you walk in and according to that covenant or not. Um, covenant theology um, could kind of be best understood that after the fall, God announced that, that he was going to, through the seed of the woman, crush the seed of the serpent's head. And that seed of that woman was going to be Christ and his church. And the, and the Old Testament um, is all testifying to the coming of that son of Eve, that, that son of the woman who was going to crush the serpent's head. Um, and so that's why, in, for instance, in Matthew 1.1, we're told that this is the very, very beginning of the New Testament. This is the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, Messiah. That's not his last name. That's his title. That the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Because there are other covenants made. There are promises made to David that his son would sit on a throne and rule forever. There's a covenant made with Abraham that through him, all the nations would be blessed. And, um, and so we enter into this covenant of grace where God redeems us, brings us in, and then we abide with him according to his, um, according to the, his laws, according to the way he wants us to live with attendant blessings and curses. Um, a, a, a covenant could be understood, you know, there's other kinds of covenants. There's covenants that kings or, uh, or rulers make with the people. There's covenants that a husband and wife make with one another. When those covenants are made, they are solemn bonds, sovereignly administered with attendant blessings and curses, if they're following the pattern of, of the Bible. And so um, uh, you, can, you can look at other covenants to help understand uh, the covenant of grace. Um, one of the questions, I guess, that comes up often with regard to understanding covenant theology is the connection of my kids to the covenant. Um, and I don't know, Josh, if maybe that's what maybe your question is, is with regard to families and how are families distinguished within the covenant of grace. Um, but I, uh, um, what I think we are to understand is that our, our children are, um, are, are covenant children in the sense that they are born into Christian homes. They're born into homes where the parents um, are in covenant with God. And so they are, um, and you see 
several times throughout the scriptures that Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see that when Lydia is, um, becomes a Christian in, in Acts, that she and her household are all baptized, all brought into covenant. The family, the household is brought into covenant. Um, now, not speaking about when, when to baptize here for the, for the moment, that, that question does come in. But I'm just talking about, are we to understand that our children are in covenant with us, with God? Um, and we teach and understand that, yes, our children, our families are in covenant with God. Individuals are and families. It's not an either or. Um, it's both and. Um, and so I, we believe that God deals with us as families as well as as individuals. Um, and so um, uh, I'm trying to think of a, a couple of quick verses to go to. But when if I was if I was going to walk you through Acts chapter two, for instance, after at Pentecost, after the um, um, after all the works of the tongues uh, takes place, and then the uh, preaching by Peter. Um, they are all amazed and fearful. They say, what shall, we, what shall we do to be saved? And, and, and Peter, because the Holy Spirit has been poured out, says, this, these are the promises that were given to you and to your children. And the, the Jews always understood that they were covenantally bound with their family as well. And Peter now says in the preaching of the gospel that these are promises are for you and for your children. Um, and for all those who are far, far off as many as are, as are called. And so it's going out all to the Gentiles as well. The children were not to be excluded from the covenant of grace um, as, they, as they're coming to faith. And so I raise my children up, and this is where probably practically I think is um, most important. Now, I'm going to, as I say this to all of you Baptists, let me tell you that I was a strong, strong Reformed Baptist um, for many years um, until I changed. But as I'm going to say these things, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show my cards here. Um, with, with regard to my understanding of, of, of children. Um, when, when I was a Baptist, I had children. And as I was raising those children, when they sinned, I told them that they sinned and they needed to ask for forgiveness from God. And then I told them that their sins were forgiven. Well, how could their sins be forgiven if they weren't in covenant with God? Now, don't, don't, don't worry about when you put the water on for a minute. But this is just that practical aspect. Why was I teaching my child to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so? Well, because I believed, that my, because I believed it was true. I believed it was true that, that God loved my child, loved my children. And that's why he placed them in this Christian home. Why did I teach them to pray, our Father who art in heaven, if he wasn't their father? But we, the only way to the Father is through Jesus. And so I knew that my timing was off. But I think underneath that, I, I knew also, no, actually, my, chi, my, my, my children, it's, it's just like I gave them the name Hatcher. I didn't ask them. I didn't, ask, I didn't say, you know, we'll leave it blank. Actually, we're doing that now with birth certificates. We're, I'm leaving it blank, and you can decide later on if you want to be a Hatcher or not. No, that's, that's ridiculous. No, you're a hatcher. Now grow up and be one with me. In a far more profound way, I tell my children, you're a Christian. You, you did, I'm sorry, <laughs> you didn't get to choose. You were born into a Christian home. Now believe on the Lord Jesus with me. Here we go. Let's go. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Let's go. And you know what? If you 
if you teach your children, if you sing to your children, if you sing with your children, you tell them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, um, guess what they'll all say? If, you, if you're loving your wife, if, you, if, the, if the home is a, is a home of laughter and joy and forgiveness and grace, you think they're going to say no? No, they're going to say, they'll say, of course I am, Dad. What do we do now? And they grow up with, they, they grow up in the faith. So sometimes children who grow up in Christian homes can point to a particular moment where the lights came on. Maybe that was a moment of actual regeneration. A lot of kids growing up in covenant homes will say to you, actually two things happen. The first thing is they'll say to you, you know, I don't really remember a day that I didn't believe in the Lord Jesus. I, I just, that's what we did as a family. And I went along with it and I, Sure, I was a disobedient kid and I got disciplined, but I never really walked away from the Lord. I'm, aren't I a Christian? And actually, one of the problems is if you, if you fight against um, that, that part of covenant theology, what happens is a lot of kids start growing up doubting their faith. Well, I, maybe I'm not a Christian. You know, I still sin. To which I say, you know, well, welcome to the club, guys. Um, we all sin in many ways. And we all have to repent. Life, our life is a life of constant repentance. Come with me. Come with me. Let's go back to Jesus. Let's confess our sins. Let's call upon him. And so what I want to do is affirm and grow my child up to be with me, saying that, um, it, that with their baptism, they've been identified in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And they're his. He owns you. Sorry, buddy. You don't get a choice in the matter. He owns you. Actually, you do get a choice. You get to continue to choose as you renew covenant every day, every Lord's day. You get to choose every day if you're going to follow Jesus. But you don't get to choose whether or not you're in covenant. You were born in covenant with him. That's, that's my understanding of covenant theology. Perfect. Thank you for that. Anybody else have any? We've been going about... Uh, about we've been going a little over an hour. Does anybody else have any questions they'd like to, to uh, put to Dave? One one thing uh, Dave and I were talking about before earlier today is just this doesn't have to be the only meeting we have with him. We can we can do this again. We can even maybe work it out to where we have him in person. So um, if you don't if you think of a question that he doesn't answer later, that we we'll get to it another time. But uh, if we don't have any other questions for him, Dave, do you have? Do you have anything else for us that uh, we should interact with with you while you're on the Zoom call with us? Well, no, I think uh, I'm happy to take any questions about anything um, uh, from folks. I mean, maybe one, one topic I'll briefly speak about is uh, in the international churches and missions work. We, um, we're a young denomination, so we don't have some uh, big uh, organized missions work. But through a number of just relationships, we have quite a few uh, churches in other countries, especially we've had a, quite a, a flurry of churches coming in from Eastern Europe. These are small churches. Um, they have they a very difficult time supporting their pastor when we have a number of different uh, ways that we, the churches help support uh, the work and the ministry in these churches. But throughout Poland, uh, Ukraine, a uh, couple churches in Russia, uh, Hungary, um, Bulgaria, um, there, there's a, a number of churches there. Uh, then we have one church in Japan also. Um, we have some, we have a number of churches uh, in the Philippines that are not associated with us, but are very interested in becoming a part of it. And we also have some hidden churches in Pakistan 
um, that are interested in being associated with us. Um, they're in hiding because of persecution. Um, so there's, there is some international work going on that way as well. It's really, a, the emphasis is on church planting and, and, uh, esta and establishing and, and training up ministers to, to be pastors on the ground, local pastors, um, as opposed to, um, you know, wide-ranging evangelical or evangelistic work or something. Let the local churches do that work. So that's something else that's going on in the CREC. And it's becoming uh, more and more a part of what, what we're doing is there's, as people are interested, there's a work going on in Brazil, I think, also now, now I think about it, too. Um, so I would, I would be open to take any questions at all. Afterwards, I think what I would suggest that you all do is um, have, have your own interaction or have another meeting, whatever you think. But then you, it might be good if you just put together a list of those who are interested in coming to another meeting. <laughs> another meeting where we talk a little bit more about what the process would be if you're, if you're going to be a part of it. And if maybe with that list, you could um, send me a contact email for each family that is interested. Um, and then I can, I'll have the, I, I would have that on my end and I'd be able to either send you material or invite you to some things or, or that kind of thing. It's, and it could be a part of a, just a group email list or something to, to move on a little bit more. Would that, would that be acceptable to you guys to do something like that? Yeah, that yeah. sounds really good. I, definitely. I, I think we'll, um, we'll for sure have, we've got tons of uh, good fodder for discussion going forward and I'll be excited to hear what the, what the guys think and what we, as we think on, think on it and pray about it. Uh, anything we should know if we wanted to come up and visit your church just with COVID and, and all of that. Oh, you're welcome to come. Any of you are welcome to come. We have, uh, we're live streaming services. If you just want to watch a service one Sunday, uh, you go to our web. Uh, I have to do that through Facebook. Um, Joe, do you know how to do that? I'm not techie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you can tell people if they want to just follow the live stream, uh, it's on Facebook. If you come to visit us at, at the church, we have, um, uh, we, we are, we used, we met for 20 years at a, Seventh-day Adventist Church, that's still shut down with COVID. They wouldn't let us come in there unless we mask all the time and no communion, no singing, all this kind of stuff. So we're basically in a warehouse, as I mentioned to you, at the Providence Classical Christian School. It's an unfinished part of the building, and we're using that. About, and about, about two-thirds of our church attends. About a third of our church is sitting either in cars or live streaming because they're concerned about COVID, or they're concerned about family members that are uh, that are that they're around that may be compromised and they don't want to get, get them infected right now. So that's, it's a weird, these are weird times, just really weird times. Really grateful we've, we are able to have outdoor parking lot services all summer. And now we're able to um, have these services at, uh, in the Providence school building. But if you came and you had any concern, we do have the second section, kind of the second half of, of this big, huge square um, where we try to put some chairs by families and give people six feet or more distance between anybody else. And so there is a way, if you're concerned at all, to have a little bit more um, distance. We just ask people that if you have any symptoms, you know, at all, don't come to church, please. Um, but pretty much kind of like we always would say, if your kids are sick, don't come to church. Please don't share it. Um, and, uh, uh, but so with that, be more than welcome to come, uh, come up and, and visit. Um, and uh, if I know you're coming, maybe there'll be some hospitality options afterwards. Um, but, uh, but regardless, um, 
you're more than welcome to come and visit uh, at the church. Uh, at all, and those of you who are really interested, I really, I would, I mean, I would say, come up and and come to a church service and go down to RCC and go to a service there too. Make a, a family day of it um, uh, each week and and uh, and do that just to get a flavor for um, what these churches are like. That's that's really helpful. I want to open up for questions, and particularly the question I would like anybody here to respond to is um, something that troubles you about coming into the CRC. That helps me maybe preparing or thinking about in, in understanding where you guys are coming about. So there is anything that troubles you about establishing a church, maybe to begin with, and or troubles you about the CREC that you feel like you, you need more information or I've, I've given you information and it bothers you. I would, I would love to be able to respond to any of that. I think that's the one thing necessarily anything that you've said, but just the working through the process of whether or not the choice to start a church is one based out of preference rather than being able to, the question that you'd asked early on, I think was right on point. Why aren't you connected with the local church? Like what, what is, what is the motivation? What's the need behind it? And is it some, is it some great dissatisfaction that has more to do with a preferential issue than a doctrinal issue um and so that's something that i think is i think that's a really important distinction to be made and so not not that that's a reason for me to say oh i you know reject the idea of jumping on board with that but that's something that i know for myself yeah. it's like uh yeah just asking that question like okay why why would we do that when there's something already established here that we could help encourage to continue to grow uh further you know with this, yeah yeah. And so if I can respond to that just a little bit, um, it made me think of kind of historically what uh, churches have, a lot of churches have been formed around some of these reasons of leaving other churches. Some of it's just flat out liberal theology that's going on. All of a sudden there's a woman pastor. Some of it, sometimes it is because there's no commitment to Christian education in the churches that you're going to. In fact, almost encouragement to put your kids in the public schools and be salt and light out there. And your, your family's feeling like, I don't think that's what God wants us to do. Um, sometimes it is, uh, um, if you are, uh, whether or not you can bring your children to the, to the Lord's table. So you might be a part of a reformed church, but they don't allow your children to commune, um, which is a distinctive in our church, in our churches that we allow children who are baptized to come to the table and, and partake of communion, be a part of the family of God in that way. Um, that's very important to, to families enough so that's, that they, they want to find a church where they can do that and teach that and train their children up in that. Um, and then sometimes it might be, uh, well, those would be kind of the big reasons I, I, I would say that a lot of times people are a part of a church that maybe have so, has some good things, but some of, some of these other ones are so, um, they, they, just, they can't, just can't stay there. They're just not going to be able to stay there any longer. Thank you. naturally skeptical and, and you know we didn't get a big brochure and we didn't get uh you know uh you're not sitting in a, in a big corporate office came to us personally uh, in this in this manner and uh i think that speaks well for uh, your heart and the fact that we got to have facetime with you and and, and you're so open and extended yourself to us um put someone like me a little bit more at ease than just knowing that there's this 
entity out there that plants churches and does all this. I'm seeing I'm seeing a gentleman in front of me who has a burden for that, and it comes across very well. And uh, I just appreciate it this evening. That's all. Yeah. I think what we think is, thank you for that. Thank you. Um, and I, I really do believe that we are a group of churches that believe God has given us tremendous gifts in teaching, um, tremendous gifts um, in, in how, to, how, to, how to have church. Uh, uh, there's a reformation that we are enjoying uh, among ourselves, and we just want to give it away to others. So um, there's no, and, and I, I do think one of the nice things about it is there's nothing, there's, you know, there's nothing in it for me. There's nothing in it for our church. We're not, we're not in a race with anybody else. We're not trying to add numbers and to add churches, except we just want to give it away. So I just want other families to be able to have it too. And I don't want people driving too often. I have people driving 60, 90 minutes um, every Sunday to be, to come to our church. And, and that does not, that does not lead to good shepherding over time. It just doesn't work well. Um, so we, we want to help establish local churches where there are shepherds there to, to care for families. Dave, thank you so much for your time tonight, man. We really, really appreciate you giving us all that time. And um, um, I'll go ahead and close this in prayer, and uh, then we'll go ahead and exit the, uh, the Zoom meeting. Okay, we'll talk about getting together again. Thanks. Okay. All right. Lord, thank you so much for, uh, for Pastor Hatcher and for the work that they're doing. Thank you that they are wanting to, to give away the gifts that you've given them. Uh, we pray, Father, you guide us as men uh, and our families here in Lewis County, Centralia Chehalis, as we uh, try to find out what pleases you and what is your will. And I pray, Father, that whatever happens, that the unbelieving world would know us as a local community by our love for one another. Uh, and thank you so much again for Pastor Dave, would you bless him for it, and please speed his recovery uh, from this, and uh, thank you very much. Amen. 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 All right, you. nice meeting you all, barely. Let's do it, uh, let's do it face-to-face -face next time.